Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wildcats podcast. I'm Ross O'Hare and I'm filling in today for Mike Luke and John Schuster. And today on the first half of the podcast, we're going to recap a dominant performance by the Cats on Saturday night. And then on the second half of the podcast, we'll look back on what has been an incredible season uh, and what in particular has made Arizona such a dominant team this year. So without any uh, further ado, let's dive right in. So on Saturday night, uh, the Cats obviously played their final home regular season game um, against Cal, and it was a huge mismatch. I mean, Cal had no chance in this game. But the first thing I want to kind of start out highlighting was Kyer, Justin Kyer, his senior night. Um, he, you know, this year he's been a great addition to this year's team. And really what, what he's done is brought a lot of maturity. He's brought a selfless attitude to the team. Um, really coming in and saying, I don't need to start, even though this is his sixth year playing and he's pretty much started his entire career. He came in just basically saying, hey, I'll play whatever role is necessary. I want to be on a good winning team that has a chance of playing in March and really set the tone, I think, in a lot of ways of just kind of the selflessness of this team. And he's been a great teammate. You could even see when the, his teammates were celebrating him him during senior night ceremonies, just how much they loved him, how much they really enjoyed being around him. And to me, that's one of, you know, Tommy Lloyd's great recruiting wins this year is bringing in a, a kid like Justin Kyer to really be, be a gel guy, a leader, a mature kind of just voice in the locker room that really we needed on a team that's this young. And so, you know, as we hop into this game, the first half you know, the flow of this first half was a bit sloppy overall, but, you know, decent. You know, obviously Cal's super outmatched, and we got the lead up to about 18, I think, in the first half, um, but allowed them to hang around. And part of that was Jordan Shepard. You know, he's a great player um, for Cal, you know, good college player, really can get to the rim well, shoots pretty good, um, but just has no help, right? Andre Kelly, their other main player, was out and has been, is going to be out for the rest of this year. And... The problem is they just had no depth, right? I mean, we didn't play awesome. Our starters weren't great first half, but our bench actually played really well. Omar Balo had a great first half, was five for five in the first half, and I think pretty much all of them were dunks, if not four out of the five. Um, Kyer had a good first half, showed out well in his senior night, and really, again, loved seeing him start. I think it was nice to see him get extended minutes in a game that was never really in doubt, but you know, we got to use him a little bit more than normal. Um, got to use Adama Ball a little bit more. He played quite a few minutes in the first half, hit a nice three, really didn't seem to be, you know, over, you know, overthink the moment, didn't shrink away, was never scared necessarily, hit a nice three, and overall played pretty good defense too. I saw him hustle, communicate well. But, you know, for the starters, again, it was kind of lackluster first half. Um, the bench kind of carried us through. We went up um, at halftime, nine-point lead. And then second half, again, this was a game that was never in doubt, but the second half, we really just put the pedal to the metal. We were dominant. We played a typical Arizona tempo, speed type of game. The bench continued to play well, and we were balanced. I mean, dominant and balanced is really the way I looked at it. You know, obviously, one of the things that really stood out to me was Kirk Kreese. He never took a shot the entire game, which, you know, there's been some moments throughout the season where you've seen a little bit of um, immaturity in terms of a shot selection, rushing shots, not getting set. And uh, that's really improved throughout the whole second half of the year. But, I mean, for an entire game for him to play 22, 23 minutes and not take a single shot was definitely, that's an outlier for the year, right? Um, he So he finished with zero points. Our starters really, you know, obviously I know Kerr didn't start, but a typical starter's so Kerr had zero points. Uh, Tubelis only had seven points. Coloco had eight. 
Terry had two. Matherin also below his uh, season average with 13. And yet we still won by 28 points, right? And that's a double-edged sword. It kind of what it shows is how badly outmatched Cal was and also just how balanced we were, right? And they never stood a chance in this game. And even keeping it at nine at half was really their only moral victory that they were going to get. So it was nice to have a final regular season game not, with not much riding on it because we'd already wrapped up the Pac-12 championship. And it was never really in doubt, right? It was one of those games where you can kind of sit back and relax Watch a game that there's not a lot riding on, and you know you're not really going to lose. And that's kind of a rarity. I mean, obviously, you know, you don't usually get to the final uh, regular season game, especially in the Pac-12, usually how it is. There's usually someone playing for something, and we just were able to kind of coast through our final game and beat Cal handedly. Right, so Arizona finishes the season 28-3. and and finishes with the most Pac-12 win- Pac-12 conference wins ever with 18. So they finished 18 and two. Now, obviously, the conference has gone from 18 to 20 games, and so that's a little bit of a misnomer. Kind of a you know you can look at that and say, well, you know, there's two extra games, so you win one more, you win 18. Um, you know, it's not the same as going 18 and 0 as it would have before. But still, 18 games in a 20 game regular season conference season is just an incredible feat. I mean, again, we're the first to do it. We can hang our hats on that. And then 28-3. and three, I mean, what a record to have, right? We, I definitely thought Tommy Lloyd was going to have a good first year. I thought this team was going to be good. And I think just one of those things that kind of caught me so by surprise was just the consistency with what we played with this year, right? 28-3 and three means that you have very few letdowns. And I would even say even in our three losses, the only game that was really a letdown was Colorado. The Tennessee game and the UCLA game were both games that were against quality opponents on the road, true road games. And, you know, you look at it now, Tennessee is a top 15, top 10 almost program. UCLA is, again, right around the number 10, top 10 program. Um, And, you know, just think about those two games. Those are understandable losses in a normal year. The Colorado game is the one game that you kind of chalk up as an inconsistent, tired, long season type of game that you think, okay, well, if you only have one of those throughout the entire year, you're doing something right, right? That's that's pretty impressive to see that. And so you finish the season 28-3, and three, and you just got to give it to Tommy Lloyd. I mean, I believe he should be the, the coach of the year, national coach of the year this year. I definitely think he'll win it for the pack. Um, Matherin will win player of the year in the pack. Colloquial will win defensive player of the year. Um, I think him... Matherin, Tabellus will win first team all-conference. Uh, all I think you'll have Terry and potentially Kerr as a second team all-conference. And if not, they'll be honorable mentions. I think all starting five will make all-conference this year just because of how dominant we were. And so, you know, you look back on what a, an incredibly successful season and you just got to like, you know, throw your hands up and say, man, I didn't expect this. I certainly didn't. I didn't think we'd be this good this fast. And I don't think, you know, Lloyd said a few things similar to that recently where he just, you know, he said, why not now? But at the same time, I don't think he expected it. Um, but what I love is well, a few of the quotes he said is, you know, when you're having fun and you get a great group of people to, together, why not, right? Your you, Success is something that is bred by a great culture, by kids having fun, playing hard, and in, a, in an environment where they're loved on and cared about. You know, and you, you think about that in terms of sports, like what a great 
um, season and great experience for these for these student athletes to be able to not only experience the success that they've had but also the team camaraderie and just the environment that Tommy Lloyd has set up. And I think that really sets up Arizona for the long term, right? Recruits are going to want to play in an environment like this. Um, fans are going to be really bought in when they see the players having fun and the coach having fun and just everybody bought in. I think it's really going to spell success for Arizona down the road. And who knows how far we'll go this year, but I just think that we're going to, we're going to start seeing an era of Arizona basketball where you're going to have sustained success, right? And that's kind of what we expect at Arizona. But what we, um, you know, I don't want to obviously say anything bad about Miller because he he really righted the ship at Arizona after loot um, and really brought a lot of success in the first six, seven years. But after the FBI investigation in the last three or four years, there definitely was this sense of lack of consistency and lack of, continued success. You never really knew what was going to happen year to year, but it kind of feels like that renewed sense of, hey, Arizona basketball is going to be consistently back year after year because of what Tommy Lloyd set up. And so the second half of the podcast, what we'll get into is kind of just what has made Arizona so dominant this year? What has been the secret sauce per se that has really given them the edge over their uh, opponents and just really what, what makes them go. But first, you know, there's an app for everyone who buys gas, right? If you buy gas, you need this app, and it's Get Upside. And Locked On listeners are earning cash back for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code SCORE for $0.25 cents per gallon or more on your first fill up. Cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using Get Upside. Just download the app for free and use promo code SCORE for $0.25 cents per gallon or more on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a year in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code SCORE to get $0.25 cents per gallon or more cash back on your first tank. All right, welcome back to Locked On Wildcats. I'm again your host, Ross O'Hare. And so what we're going to talk about this second half of the podcast is really just what has made Arizona so dominant this year, right? With 28-3 record, number two ranked overall, um, and as a favorite to win the national championship, you know, Arizona didn't get here by chance, right? So let's talk about a little bit about what's working well for us and why it's working so well against other teams. So the first thing, there's three things I want to go over. The first thing is the speed of play. So Lloyd has said many times that we don't play fast just to play fast, although we do have we are one of the fastest playing teams pace of play wise in the NCAA, but we do it to make the game easier and to put teams on their heels. Right. So when we're playing quicker, you know, oftentimes what it does is put the defense on their heels. They can't get set up. And so it makes the plays easier. It makes transition baskets easier all those types of things. So one of the ways that he utilizes that, obviously, is getting out in transition, playing quickly so that we can get layups, dunks, that kind of stuff. Um, and really, over the course of a game, it also wears teams down, right? It creates a pace that's uncomfortable for other teams to play at for 40 minutes. And you've seen this many times throughout the year where teams hang with us first half and even the first five, 10 minutes of the second half. And then you start to see teams wear down, right? It happened against Illinois. It happened against, you know, a couple of teams, but even 
more recently, you know, it happened against Utah in that game. It happened against USC. And really, it's just one of those things where our pace, because it's so quick and because we do it consistently, it wears teams down quickly. And then one of the things that also separates us is how how our bigs run the court, right? It's not just that we get out and our guards are running up and getting shots off, but our bigs, you see, especially with like Tabellis and Coloco, is when we get a rebound, they are not jogging up the court. They are sprinting and they create separation that way. And then when you get a big guy running with a full head of steam and then a pass in rhythm, um, you know, obviously it leads to a lot of dunks, which you've seen. But so it also breeds this type of, because of the way we play, it breeds a lot of sharing. You get rewarded for running. You get, it puts a lot of pressure on the defense. You can get dunks, and it just kind of builds on itself. Um, I even heard that, and I'm not sure exactly on this, but I think that we lead the country in points scored within the first five seconds of gaining possession, which is just unreal, right? I mean, how many times do you think about it? We get the ball, you get a rebound, and within five seconds, we're getting a dunk, a shot, something like that, and we lead the nation in that. And that just kind of gives you a perspective of what we're trying to do is put pressure on the defense, quickly get the ball, get out and run, but get out and run with a purpose. And it's to put pressure on the defense to make a decision quickly and get a shot up, get a dunk you know, in so that we can put pressure on them to have to run back. It really helps, I think, in some ways to put a thought in a defender's mind or an offensive player mind on the other team that when they make a shot or hit a shot, like they're thinking, oh man, I got to get back quick because as soon as this shot goes up, whether it's in or not, Arizona's going to be trying to push, and so i got to get back on defense quickly. And that wears people out over time. You can't you know, sit there and watch your shot and kind of jog back. You're sprinting back every single time because of the speed of play that Arizona plays with. And I think that's the first really big thing that Arizona has done that's really separated them from the rest of the country. The second one is more of a uh, something that I've kind of come to love that we do so well, but it's our pick-and-roll offense. It's pretty impressive to see how elite our pick-and-roll offense is, and I think it is our biggest secret weapon against teams. Right? Everybody knows that Arizona gets up and runs. We know we're known to be a quick-paced team. But what I don't think people understand is just how good we are in the pick-and-roll. If you go back and watch games and really focus on the pick-and-rolls that we have, it's, it's unbelievable. right? And it really starts to me with Kerr. Um, with his ability to put pressure on the defense. Um, and because we get the ball inside with such consistency throughout the game, he has to be guarded by the screener's defender in order to put pressure on him so that he doesn't get a good pass off. The problem is, is he has such a great job. He does such a great job of a hesitation dribble, right? If you look at it, when he goes around the screen, he hesitates just enough to freeze the big on the, who's defending the screener who's come out to kind of, you know, hedge Kerr Kreese off of his pick and roll. And the problem is, as soon as he does that hesitation dribble, it immediately frees up the big guy. It freezes the opposing team's big man, and it frees up ours. And you'll see it time and time again where there's a pocket pass or, you know, a bounce pass around the big guy or even a lob where because of that slight hesitation that Kerr Kreese has – it does such an incredible thing. It really reminds me a lot of the Suns. Their their ability to play pick and roll is one of the best in the NBA, if not the best. And it's because Chris Paul is such an artist when it comes to when he gets around the screen, what he does in his hesitation dribbles to freeze the, uh, the other defender and get his big man open. Right, And you see this all the time with Coloco and Balo especially, but Tobelis too, where... They set that screen and slip immediately to the basket 
and Kirk Creasa does this incredible hesitation dribble, freezes the defender, and now obviously he can do whatever he wants. He can hit a floater, bounce pass, pocket pass, you know, alley-oop, dunk, whatever. And really that, that pick-and-roll offense is something that's one of the hardest things to guard in basketball. Hands up, like hands down. It's one of the hardest things to do. And we do it so well because there's so many nuances to a pick-and-roll. You have to read the game. And not, it's not just Kerr that does it too, but Matherin's improved incredibly uh, in this area of his game. Terry does it well. Kyer does it pretty good. I mean, most of our guards do it well, but Kerr, Matherin, and Terry are the three that run that pick and roll to an elite level. And I think that when we have to be playing in a half-court game, when teams try to slow us down and get us out of our pace of play, that the pick and roll game is going to be something that really comes in handy as you get deeper into March, because you're going to be playing against teams who are just as athletic. But if you can get them in a pick and roll situation and do it at an elite level, we're going to score a lot of buckets and we're going to be dangerous. The last thing that I think separates us right now is our defense, right? So we're, we don't have the number one ranked defense, but we do have an elite defense. We've been um, consistently ranked in the top five to 15 all year in adjusted def uh, defensive efficiency. And that's just something, obviously, that ranks every possession, that really looks at the statistics of our defensive abilities and possessions. And we defend well against everybody, right? It doesn't matter whether it's uh, quality big players, quality guards. You know, with big players, we've got Coloco, who is in running for the National Defensive Player of the Year. He definitely won the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. And then Balo plays good defense. He, he moves his feet well for a big man. Um, and so you got bigs that can guard bigs well. I mean, we shut down Kofi Coburn. We shut down, um, I'm drawing a blank right now, on the kid from Michigan. Um, you know, he's really played well. But we, we've shut down quality bigs this year because of Coloco and Balo. And then also so with guards, you know, we have Terry, who's a shutdown defender, Larson, who's a great defender, Kyer, who's a good defender. And so we're able to guard one through five. You know, a team that maybe has good guards, we can guard them. If they have good bigs, we can guard them. And really one of the things I love is our team defense. We play a really interesting style of team defense because what we're willing to do is we're willing to put pressure on the ball handlers to make a decision and put the ball in play, whether that's dribbling to the basket, making a pass. And you see we get a ton of you know steals and blocks because we're putting pressure on defenders. We're making them make a decision and uncomfortable when they don't want to be. And we really, what we really do well is also guard penetration, right? Because when we have great help side defense, and what happens is we rotate well. So when the help side steps over, we rotate over, and we really scramble on defense well. And we cover a lot of ground and make teams make a lot of contested shots, which obviously, again, contributes to getting a lot of rebounds, getting out in play, getting, you know, getting out in uh, transition, playing quickly. And then obviously also we can get up and set up in our pick and roll offense. And I think because of those three main things, we have set ourselves up to be an elite team where you have three losses. You're ranked number two in the country. And all three of those are going to be also usable and really great for a deep run in March. And I think that's what we're looking forward to, right? Uh, I think as we move deeper into the Pac-12 tournament and March Madness, you'll find that those three areas are going to be what win us the game. Can we get out and run? Can we execute in half-court offense through the pick-and-roll? And can we step our defense up to an elite level and shut teams down that may be equally as talented as us or equally as athletic as us when it really matters most?
So that's kind of what my breakdown of what has made us so good this year. Thanks for listening. Again, my name is Ross O'Hare. And before you go, what I wanted to talk to you about a little bit is about Bet Online. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sport wagering action for 2022. From football to basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, you name it. Also, your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts.